Republican, ambulance designer, fiddle player, top gent, Chris Fitzgerald. Today's guest on the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. You're very welcome. There you go. Uh, Chris is the, he's the man behind The Last Jar. You've heard us mention The Last Jar before. That is where we've been recording some of our episodes there on Wednesday night. So as the session's been flying along downstairs, we've been up in the small room upstairs having, having chats with people. Chris has had sessions in the Corkman previous to this and has done so much for the scene over the last probably 30 years. He is one of the backbones within the, the Melbourne, Victoria scene. Yeah. And uh, the session that he has helped curate with um, Paddy Fitzgerald in, on a Wednesday night is one of the, oh, I don't know, I just got anything can happen. It is, it's really, there is an energy. It, is, it can be feverish. Yeah, it's cracking. So, uh, but anything, not anything goes, but it just feels like anything could happen. There's a giddiness to it, which oh, I just I, I, love. I totally love it. And you can, you know, it's a Wednesday night. I mean, where else do you get giddy on a Wednesday night? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, And the music is always tip top. Yeah, yeah, and we'll be speaking to a few more musicians from that session over the over the coming episodes, including banjo dynamo Tony McTighe. Come so, at you. Looking forward to that. Yeah, and just before we go, Patreon. I, I do need to mention it each week. It's either me mentioning Patreon now, or we get an ad <laughs> during the middle of the episode. Really, Some really random ad for yeah. You know, I'll do my best to tell that voice. <laughs> but yeah, we don't want to do that. So. If you would also like us not to have ads in the middle of your lovely podcast, then please head over to um, patreon.com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims. Two bucks an episode. We think it's a it's a bargain. It's, uh, it might not seem like a lot, but really it, it's the thing that keeps this thing going. You can absolutely keep listening to it without becoming a patron, but we'll just think you're a sand skin for, for doing it. So thank you. I know. Chris Fitzgerald. Uh, I think it's called Yule Harbour. Right. Do you know what that is? No. Y o u g h a l. I think. Oh, y'all. Oh, yeah. That's in, okay. Yeah, it's in uh, it's in Cork. Well, that's Cork, forty yeah. years of mispronunciation, correct? Right. So, <laughs> that's good. So I just got it out of a book. Um, that, that's right. the first tune I ever learned as an Irish tune, or what I thought was an Irish tune, out of the fiddle. Right. Yeah, on the right. fiddle. Yeah. 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 There's um. There's a. You know the song uh, Johnny Jump Up. Yep. Yeah, the first line of that, second line of that. Oh, yo, okay, okay. Well, that connects a few dots. Yeah. So, so, uh, so, where did you come across that? How, how did you first connect with uh, with Irish music? Um, I grew up in the bush, so my family, my parents are from outback New South Wales, and Dad was a teacher in rural Victoria. So, we grew up in sort of remote, remoteish areas. I think I lived in a town once. I think by the time I was 21, we'd lived in about eight or nine different places, so we moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. And when I left home, uh, which was the last time was around Shepparton, 
came to Melbourne and it was in that early phase of uh, just the, the bush band and the virus music creating presence in Melbourne. So you had bands, particularly after about the second or third year of uni, there was um, you know, bands like Moving Cloud uh, with Dan Burke and... Were you a Kiwi player? Uh, Davey Kidd was a Kiwi player. Right. Dan's, Dan's still around. Dan's, Dan's a sort of a fixture in Melbourne. Uh, Hugh McDonald. And so often you had three fiddles. Uh-huh. Uh, and there was just... Melbourne's always had great fiddle players. You had, you know, Louis McManus, uh, Tony O'Neill, who was banjo and migrated to anything with a string on it. So it was very inspiring and was sort of the heyday of the bushwhackers and the cobbers, which I didn't see a lot of, but... That whole genre of music uh, had its had its peak um, in that, which is really the late seventies, early eighties. Right. So, so you weren't playing as a as a as a kid, or no, you... no, no. I I had uh, four siblings, so I was the fourth of five kids, and uh, two older sisters, an older brother, and a younger sister, and they all had piano lessons, um, but I I didn't because I didn't see the point. I just. I so, what age were you when you first picked up the fiddle then? Um, about 20, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, so uh, I liked the music and the uh, grandfather of a schoolmate of mine, um, he was a local violinist, played at the you know, country dances, and he lent me a violin, very generous of him, and he had a great ear. And I bought a book, an old-timey fiddle book. It was one of those books that had that sort of flat plastic record, a square record, and you oh, played right, it yes. at 45. Yeah. And the great thing about that is that it showed you the finger positions relative to the notes. Yeah. Because, I mean, how else do you work that out? Um, and so I just copied that. And then I taught myself to read music. Um, just, and then I was just wild for it. I, I, once, I, once I could get that tune out, I thought, well, there's no stopping me now. Well, what was, the, um, what was the, the drive to go after it in the first place? I know someone gave you the fiddle, but had you got an inclination to chase it anywhere? Well, I did. That's why I got the fiddle. I, I yeah. saw this music, and you know, when you see you know, two and three fiddles on stage, it's, it's you know, ching, you know, chilling, chilling yeah. up the spine, and, and you know, audiences having a great time, and it, it's just, it just captivated me. And I can't explain why. I mean, we grew up on Dad's old 78s, you know, Bing Crosby and all that sort yeah. of, you know, war era music or pre and post war and then um, just, you know, ACDC, you know, whatever the rock and roll was in the 70s. But um, but how much were you getting too? Because like being rural New South Wales and you said you weren't even in towns. So No, well, in terms of traditional music, not much. Yeah. But we, um, we had to drive because we went back to those, um, to our home and there was a period in the 70s where... Our grandparents passed away and um, we had a few cousins that were hit by trucks, basically. So we sort of went back over a few years. So there was always singing in the car. So there was always music around. They, you know, Mum and Dad liked music, but there was nothing formal. Yeah. There was something about the Irish music when I heard it in Melbourne that I th- it just captivated me. And I can't explain that. Um, I did my genealogy recently, and even a, a fifth-generation Australian, I'm still 91% Irish. So, so I don't know if there's something in the in the genes and the bones. But <laughs> yeah. when I heard it, I, I just wanted to have part of that. So yeah, so I just uh, started playing, uh, taught myself some tunes. I was living in a flat in um, uh, South Yarra with a mate of mine, Mick Grogan. Right. Mick, I'd, I'd studied as a prosthetist, orthodist, so and. Mick, at the end of first year uni, went off. He lived in Bendigo, did his hay carting job, and and had an industrial accident. So he ended up with having his leg chopped off, so below the knee. Yeah. So he and I became great mates, and I sort of assisted him through that process. So we shared a, an apartment, a flat down in South Yarra, and we were living next to an airline pilot. 
and I was learning a fiddle. And, and <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you oh, that. Yeah. How was how was the uh, how was that because. You know, learning a guitar is there's a fret. Yeah, you put your finger there, right? Yeah, this yeah. is a lot more approximate when you're starting, right? Yeah, correct, correct. So you slide a lot. Mm-hmm. So you try and find the note. Um, uh, and I put, I would put uh, clothing pegs on the bridge, and oh, that will really the, mute it down. Yeah. So you could actually buy a mute, but it wasn't enough. So I'd be practicing at eight eight thirty at night, just and then the police would arrive. You know the neighbors. You're kidding? Did actually yeah, call no, the police? Actually, yeah, quite often. Oh. It was it was a bit of a regular. I mean, that's really understandable. Well, I can understand the guy, but I I had a burning desire, and you know I wasn't at three in the morning. It was you know at yeah. reasonable times. He just had unusual uh, time clock because of his shifts, but. And the police were always embarrassed, you know, you know, really harmless person, you know, yeah. buying away on the fiddle. So then, so then, how how did, um, is there a moment when you're starting to learn this ego yep. that you kind of go, oh, I can actually probably pull this off? Well, that know? was the tune because that, the the Yule Harbour tune um, it involves the C on the A string, and so being able to do that and it vaguely sounding like the tune um i thought yeah yeah i i can i have i'm hearing uh, what i'd like to hear mm-hmm. and it's, it sounds like a tune to me and i can repeat it you know i'm not making a, a mistake and mucking it up every sort of couple of bars yeah. so so then were there were there um you mean you were watching these bands and stuff? Were there were there sessions and stuff around? Yeah, Melbourne there were. Or? There was there was. Um, yes, they were, but they weren't very accessible. So mm-hmm. mainly because I wasn't a good player and I didn't have a repertoire. So you go to the Dan O'Connell. The Dan was sort of the the center of the universe for Irish music you know, at that time. And you'd, you'd, where where is that? Uh, the Dan O'Connell, which is in Princess Street right. um, near Nicholson Street in in Carlton, and. Um, they'd have a, they had a large room next door which you know, people would do various gigs. So on a Saturday afternoon, you'd have Louis Senior and Louis Junior, um, and you know, even Steve Cooney you know, went. Steve was in Mel, uh, Melbourne at that time. You know, all those sort of you know, Simon Melia who, who passed away a few years who was, later. Who was Steve Cooney? Uh, Steve Cooney. If you look at pretty much any any over the last twenty years in Ireland, um, there's a guy with a sort of a goatee and, and the dreadlocks that's Steve so he's right. he's he's quite uh, revered and, and well known in Ireland as, as an accompanist oh I know exactly who you mean yeah exactly I I just... know, and I knew you would yeah, yeah. and so yeah. Steve Steve which I, I actually had a lesson with him once so he was um, playing bass in a, in a reggae band called Randy and the Jar Roots and Randy was this big sort of F, F, um, Garnon guy and they used to play on Saturday afternoon at a pub in Clifton Hill. So I went along and saw them. And they were just the hippest thing around. It was just fantastic. And anyway, I saw, because I was living near there, there was an ad, you know, for music lessons, you know. Steve Cooney, the bass player. So I went and had a, a couple of lessons yeah. with him. And that was amazing. I know it was a slight digression, but he... Um, uh, he's a bit of an ethereal character, but he his head was just totally around music. And I was living in a house, so we're talking about the early 80s now, so in a house with jazz musicians. So we're about three or four years down the track now since, well, two or three years since I started. And the friends at the time who I was playing old-timey music with sort of migrated to jazz, so I went from, you know, five-string banjo to tenor sax. And we all learned jazz theory. Anyway, so I thought a few lessons off Steve Cooney would be helpful. So... And he showed me this sort of colour chart and you know, he had the sort of notes of a scale and how he taught me about modes, uh, modes within a, a key and how this one, you know, I think, I forget the names of them, but if you start on the fifth or the sixth note and play a mode in that key, um, it, was, it was like the colour purple. Yeah, brilliant. 
and it was yeah. you know and he he could do that I, I didn't I didn't really have the music competence to be able to play the notes all yeah. the time based on that but he really um uh I guess quite subtly influenced me in terms of just the the vibe of music is that um, something you ever kind of continued with the theory behind yeah well I continued learning music theory he was he wasn't a fan of jazz because it's 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 it relies on dissonance and resolution to to give it the vibe and give it the feel for people whereas he was more about harmony yeah but he also taught me about you know just pentatonic scales and then he would use he incorporated japanese pentatonic scales it was just it was like talking to an encyclopedia yeah. and his his perception of the world was through music and that was pretty inspiring and i i think i just had a couple of lessons at you know, his house in clifton hill and then i think he disappeared soon off to to ireland and then mm-hmm. you know made his made his sort of name over there but he was a great, and you know, I, I don't know him personally, but he was uh, at, at one point in my life there. That was a bit of an influence because I, even though we all, so the whole household went off and led jazz theory at you know Northern Taith, and we we share a house that was all musicians. So it would have been my turn to cook. So you'd play the piano, you know, someone else would play bass or or, or a horn, and so it'd be B, uh, blues in B flat. So that'd go on for an hour and twenty until dinner was ready. <laughs> then the next night it's your turn to cook, and, and then it was uh, blues in E flat, or, or we'd played a lot of the old jazz standards. And it was a very brilliant. fertile time. There was yeah. a few guys living doors up playing uh, R and B. So there was a band called the Swinging Sidewalks, and those guys, um, yeah, would come down and we'd go busking with those. It was very fertile. Yeah, and there was also a Greek yeah. restaurant a guy called Chris Farkos who played Santuri, I think, and uh, like a hammer dulcimer and. Yeah, it's all like the, a Greek. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, so it's a percussive yeah. um, stringed instrument, and he was he was a phenomenal player. And all the touring Greek musicians would would you know visit him at three in the morning. So we'd all get back from our gigs, and you know, it's all it's all happening up the road in, yeah. in High Street in, or you know, in uh, Northcote. Yeah, that so, so there's a lot of it was quite a fertile period. So, but it wasn't just about Irish music for me. So you know, we did a lot of the jazz stuff. So I, I played a lot of guitar for a long time, which I don't anymore. And um, but I always kept the fiddle going, and they all said, "Ah, oh, you know, leave it behind." But there was something I I didn't want to leave it behind. Yeah. And then so I just sort of kept going, going with that, and eventually, you know, you know, joined a band, you know, sort of bush band, and and you know, sheep and cows, and most halls across Melbourne and, and country Victoria I would have done a gig in at some stage because it was huge. And that so was, the bush band scene really was a scene. Like, oh, absolutely. Because like, the few people I've talked to, they were saying. <clears throat> Every other night of the week, there was, there was a, a, a bush band gig on. Yeah, so it became a mainstream activity. And yeah. it was that sort of, you know, harking back to the past. You had also TV series like Rush, which is about, you know, the gold rush and based in Ballarat. So there's a lot of sort of reinforcement of, of you know, I guess, heritage, the 1800s. Yeah. And was, there a, was it a kind of, I suppose, glorification of those times? Was it a really kind of like, oh, I'll get back to what it was like? Or is it much more... Oh, I think it was. I think it was sort of probably a little bit of hippieish the stuff in there, yeah, yeah and just sort of, you know, what, a, what, you know, something alternative and yeah. alternative to the alternative. Um, but it also it's good fun. I mean, bush dancing is essentially based on Irish set dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, is you know, it's, it's there's a courting component to that because you know you're dancing with someone you might have the hots for or not. Um, you know, it's sort of it's a, it's a social interaction, and you know the bushwhackers used to go to the showgrounds and they get a thousand people out there, you know, on a Saturday night for a bush dance. And we around you know local community schools, it'd be their fundraiser, or people would have a wedding and they'd have a bush dance. So you know it was it was it's and it's sustained. It sort of brought a lot of musicians out of their bedrooms into doing gigs and then you know, what, uh, you know other locations after that. Do, do you have a do you have a tune from that 
from that era that, that has a kind of yeah, I, I guess, kind of well, I guess the first, again, that. with a basic repertoire, so at that time, because I'm, I'm a naturally shy person, so I grew up in the bush and, you know, I knew five people when I was growing up, that, that's well, six, my family, and because we moved on every few years, yeah. I didn't have sort of, well, it's just not a problem, you know, made us quite resilient, but I've always, in my professional work as an ergonomist and prosthetist, I've always you know, presented and I do a lot of public speaking and, and I've done a lot of ambulance work around the world. And same with my music. So I forced myself to get up on stage and play. So at the Molden Folk Festival, um, in probably the first or second one, I got up on the back of a truck and played the ranks of Kildare. So, and I'm not even sure how that goes, but um, so forgive any errors in anticipation. Kildare, right? And I kept doing that. So, um, so, so before you go on, just yep. that, that thing about um, forcing yourself to go on, mm. right? That's a kind of interesting thing to me because it's, it's such a sort of um, you're sort of confronting something in yourself. Yeah, um, absolutely. When you do it, and you and you know, there's a push and a pull, right? You yep. want to do it, and you're yep. desperate to do it, but you're breaking it. Well, <laughs> I mean, and once you're on stage. Are you going to walk off? Yeah. Um, and you know, so warts and all. Um, it, it's it's. There's no. There's no greater judge than your peers <laughs> in a public forum. And Were you on your own that time? Yes, yeah, I was. I mean, it's just a couple of tunes, and you know, yeah, yeah, hooray, yeah. onto the next guy. So yeah. not not a big deal. Not just trying the to difference that how much of a difference there is between going on your own, doing something solo, and having the the cover of. Your mates to cover up the sloppy cover of darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've I mean, no one to look at and give the smile. <laughs> when I was at came to university, um, I couldn't walk into the cafeteria at lunchtime. I thought everyone was looking at me. So I, I was a very, very shy person. So yeah. I really had to, you know, that's pretty dis- not very functional. So I really forced myself and took every opportunity to extend myself. So now you can't shut me up. So yeah. what, what were the next steps after you, you had your first? You know, there must have been a tick of like, I can do this. Yeah, I've done yeah. It. So I, I just kept doing it, and I had and. Um, gravitated towards people who had like interests. So there was a mate of mine, you know, Tony Evans, and you know, Tony was a sort of a, a great hippie, and he was playing the five-string banjo, and you know, we did a lot of Woody Guthrie, and and um, you know, just that old-timey stuff, as, as well as the bushy sort of stuff. And and so I played with him a lot. So surround yourself with people. We went around Australia when we finished uh, our study, I think, sort of nineteen eighty, seventy-nine, eighty, or something, and. Um, so we, we travelled around and, and we lived on playing music. And so we played yeah. more and more and more. And in fact, we were up in Broome and uh, we were living there. We'd play on the, 
in the veggie restaurant on a Monday night for a meal and then we had a gig in the local hotel for Friday, Saturday, so that sustained us. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Broom Country and Western Talent Contest was on. Oh, wow. So we thought, we'll have a crack at this. And so we sang the Roebuck Shearer. All the good bands couldn't get up from Perth because of the floods and uh, we won. Oh, and uh, so we were, you know, it was a huge, my biggest victory yeah. uh, ever. You can just leave that uh, first bit of the night, that little bit in the section, just leave that bit out. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, won. yeah. So it was good, it was good. So, um, and we, we were, again, it was that intensive, you know, you're living and playing music. Um, so Is he, he, he the fellow you went over to Ireland with? No, that was a, another mate of ours, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy McAuliffe. So he'd, I'd, I'd bought a mandolin, he was learning that, and you know, we both travelled in Asia, and then we met, met up in England and went over there for... I think we were there for two months. We had a session every night, every yeah. night of the, uh, for two months. And we were riding bikes, and we, all, we got really fat because we were just drinking Guinness and eating chips at the end of the night and then doing it all again. So, yeah. But it was a lot of good music, um, great music. And we, we went to remote areas. Because you, know, um, you were cycling everywhere. We were cycling, and we turned up with an English guy that had a van, so we sort of did some up through Connemara, up, up from Galway. We did little trips and stuff, but... You know, we get to a town in Sligo Sunday. We just camp in the main street because the local shop guy said, "Yeah, you just camp there. All the old guys are coming in tonight." So you know, we wait, and then everyone coming in, you know, dressed in suits and yeah. in their finest. And you know, there's there was one. It's that I can't tell you the town. It was in Sligo, but um, there's probably about six or seven fiddle players. The average age would have been about eighty, and there was a young guy, young Dan, who was about sixty. So he'd been young Dan all his life, yeah. and he was never going to be old Dan, and so he was just totally excited there were some new musicians in town so so we did played the session we had a cup of tea you know did the anthem at the end of the night and then went back to young dan's place to about sunrise and it's just fabulous and very austere so he's on a farm so it's just uh, pretty much a, a bed sit room there was just you know bed at one end and yeah. you know fireplace kitchen at the other it was, it was but yeah he sort of shared his house with us and, and we sort it must of have been a bit of a trip tunes. for the like especially the older generation, you got these young guys coming over, cycling in Aussies, full like yeah, fifth yeah, generation yeah, Aussie, and they're yeah. playing brilliant tunes. Yeah, and also being sensitive. You know, we're not trying to prove anything. We're yeah. just trying to, you know, hi, how are we going? Oh, yeah, oh, we know that one. We'll play that, and you know, not not. You know what I mean? Sort of just so, yeah, well, trying to fit in, which which I found going to Ireland very easy because it was like country Victoria. You know, you'd go in at the bar, you'd say, oh, you'd start taking the mickey out of him and he'd do the same back to you. And it was just this massive comfort that we had in Ireland. Yeah. So so the, the, the thing about, um, I mean, you touched there on ideas of like how you approach a session, especially as a stranger. I mean, it's mm. kind of interesting. The, the whole session etiquette thing is a whole... Yes, it is. Yeah. Sophisticated... Series of manoeuvres and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and myself, it's, and it's a bunch of rules without having any rules. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 But but I, I'm wondering, like, um, how you sort of, I mean, how, um, when you try and pin those down, I mean, some of it is just about, um, you know, like a basic sense of being well mannered, right? There is that. Right? Yep. You come in, you don't. Yep. 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 You, yep. You're that's the basic rule, yeah. But not everyone's got that. Yeah, no. And yeah. that's the staggering. I think that's the staggering part because at its essence, it should be a very simple rule one. Yeah. But that's actually one of the well. Most not everyone's complex. got that sort of self perspective, mm. and and that's. I mean, we're populations, and that's why I learned as an ergonomist. So I now do ergonomics work. It's, I, I design around populations. So you need to and within populations, you've got variation and. 
and musicians are their own set of people. So you know, there's, they're, they're a little bit on, off the end of one scale, I think. Yeah. Um, to be a good musician, you've got to have something weird about you because you, know, you spend a lot of time by yourself practicing. Uh-huh. So I've, I've got, I know a lot of musicians. I don't have a lot of close friends as musicians. Um, but you know, I like a lot of the pl- players, but there's something about successful musicians that is not completely within the normal sort of spread. But um, but look, even with regarding sessions, so earlier on there there was you know various session opportunities, and, and you just got to know players, and you sort of mixed at your level, um, and then eventually you'd sort of make your way through. So it was sort of you know bootstrapping. Um, there wasn't sort of an easy pathway. Yeah. And then as a publican in the last sort of 15 years, because I was a publican at the Corkman Hotel and then here at the Last Jar, I describe to people that don't understand the session culture is that uh, my job is to curate. I, I sort of curate the session. So I, I make sure that there's you know, a minimum um, quality or calibre of music. Uh, and then I, if I need to, I'll, I'll manage the exactly the etiquette within the session, which I don't enjoy doing. But... You know, sometimes you know there's been incidences where you know someone gets a bit abusive. Right, out you go. Yeah, I'm going to have to bar you. You can't say that sort of thing. But I, you know, I drink here a lot. Yeah, I know you do, and we love you, love your custom. But you can't break those rules. And even sometimes I'll encourage people. There, you know, there's a few very good players that'll just get the notes on their phone and they'll look down and you know I'll give them feedback saying, look, you know, it's great you can do that, but it's really not the sort of what the session's about. Um, so, so what is the session about then? Well, for me, the session, I mean, <coughs> it's interesting. The session is about what's created during the session, and that's the whole thing. It's, it's a spontaneous event with a few social rules that most of the time most people apply, and it's the coming together through a common repertoire, or where there's not a common repertoire, it's, it's, it's a, you know, giving, giving opportunity for someone to show something a little bit different and, and you get a different exposure. So, because even in Ireland, it, um, and I sort of went back, because we went back a, a number of times, and I've sort of got to play with some good players, but I don't need to, I, I just want to see good players, you know what I mean? So I don't need to sort of play with people and say, oh, this is what I can do. I, I sort of, it's just not part of my makeup. So, whereas a lot of people want to, yeah, do that, um, it's just for me. It's just hearing good music, yeah. and and I could listen equally as much as play. Uh, I, I did, so, um, the sense of this is a very it's a very welcoming yes yes session, it is. actually, yep. and yep. and and, and um, I, I was just very interested to to. I've completely lost my train of thought here. That's I was actually trying to get to something about the the, the intangible thing about yep, a session, yep, yep. and and you summed it up really well. But it's it's about what happens in there in that space in that moment. And yep. there's certain Wednesday nights that I would come in here, and um, I, you know the streets were fairly quiet. It didn't seem yep. like much. You come in and the place is like yeah, it can be it can be telling. And also you know? within a night, so the session this week. Um, so and Paddy Paddy comes every second week. Yeah. So Paddy fits, and um, so this is his off week. So, you know, and I didn't get into about sort of six and, you know, it's sort of bubbling along and then you get the people that arrive there at four or 4.30, you know, heading off at about seven and then it sort of had a bit of a dip and then uh, quite a few of the, the singers uh, from around town had been out on the turps after, you know, they're getting together after the St. Pat's gig. Yeah. So, you know, you had you know, Kieran Boyle, Pat McKernan, uh, Marty Kelly all came in. So here's a guitar, boys, and, and away you go. And that, that, that sort of happened from about 10, 10.30 onwards. Right. So, yeah. so, and also we, we, we give people some platters of food at nine. And so, you know, often that's half an hour and people just catch up. It's, it's very, very social and it's very welcoming. And, and Paddy Fitzgerald, because Paddy's been involved in both the Corcoran and here for such a long time, 
Paddy's really set that as the benchmark in terms of you know, how we've sort of facilitated and managed and and you know everyone's encouraged to sing if they've got a song and um, and these days with uh, Google on a phone um, everyone's a singer or can be a singer um, and it's just fabulous. So it's, when did it start? That, Sorry. So no, I just wanted to ask you. We, yeah, I, yeah, I just wanted to ask you a wee bit more about that. Yeah. The, the the thing about the, the phone. That's what that's where I was kind of meaning to to go. Yeah. Like, um, what's lost when that's happening? Oh well, I think it's not a complete loss. So it's a, it's a transaction. And, and the loss is, okay, well, it's not completely consistent with the tradition of I bother to learn a song, you know, to a standard that I'm happy to sing it in public. So there's a little bit of a loss on that side, but there's a gain on the side of your participation of people that otherwise would not participate. And that just expands the whole realm. It gives them an opportunity, as I talked about myself, of, yeah. okay, well, I did it this time, maybe I will go and learn that song. Or maybe I'll, there's another song that I... You know, that worked, what am I going to do next? And it doesn't necessarily occur that way, but I, I always sort of see, see it as a sort of, you know, a balance. Yeah. There is, there is and it's contributing. It's people that are contributing that otherwise would not or may not, yeah. There is something... Uh, I, I, I wonder if there's something kind of um, different about um, a, a song that is internalised, right? You know it and you're singing it, yep. you know, and you're not reading Right. So yep, there's two absolutely. different processes yep, there. Which yep, I agree. Kind of, I agree. Um, and I'm not being disparaging. You know, no, people, no, no. Like I, you say, it yep. enables people to be included and stuff. Yep. But it, it is really interesting thing for me that like how you um, how you can see somebody who who is reading, and then you see somebody who's singing, and when the words are in you, yeah, there's a whole different thing going on. Totally, totally. I it's, I agree. But there's still a social interaction with the latter. So it's pretty writing yeah, the edges yeah. off that. Like as you're saying, like, people are participating and. Yep. If that's the barrier to entry, and all of a sudden you've got that little, yep. oh, well, the two lines I always stuff up on, that's all really I'm going for. Yeah, yeah. Then to know that you can do that, that's fantastic. How many more players and singers do you get just for them? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I agree. There's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, a, it's a deficit and, a, right. and an asset. Right. So it's, and I, I sort of see both, but I'm not going to emphasise the other because for me it's about participation. Yeah. And the, the sessions really... There's a very strong sense of community with the sessions. So new, play, new players are welcome, you know, people are... And they just keep coming back. And, you know, we had a, a St. Pat's Day just recently and we had three areas of music and it was just... The vibe was just fantastic. I had staff because we, we got a lot of our uh, casual staff and, and even people that hadn't worked here before, but, you know, friends of friends, they're all coming up and thanking us for being involved in the day. I mean, they worked their ass off. Yeah. You know, we, we started trading at nine and we, we finished at about one, So as in, you know, so many, you know, the next day. So, you know, we started, started playing at 10 in the morning and finished about midnight. So it was a big day, but um, it was just fabulous. And, and, and really that was an extension of the session, really. So it was about so that sort of social connection, social interaction. And for us... As, as a venue here at the last hour, that's that's really what we're about. Is is people trying to sort of feel comfortable? So yeah. so, on your own plan, when you when yep. you come back to Australia after this period in Ireland, yep. um, where are you going? Music. music yeah, I started to join. Yeah, good question. So during that period, after the island uh, summer, so I think by the you know, mid September, I had a choice because I wasn't ready to go home, but I didn't have a lot of cash in my pocket because Guinness and chips are expensive, and. Um, so rather than pull beers in a London pub for two pound an hour, I decided to go busking. And I'd met some people at Clancy Week, so I went down to Amsterdam and um, started playing there. Um, you know, so Irish musicians. So I used to busk in the old, you know, the red light area there um, with the 
uh, the partner of a, a great musician and he was off touring so she and I would play as soon as we had enough for lunch that was it down tools off for lunch and then I sort of made my way down through France and there was a, a I was hitchhiking but not, not having great success and there was I came to my attention there was a, a snatched train strike so I was in Lyon on the edge of Lyon so I just jumped on a train and went all the way down to Barcelona no ticket got through and then I sort of bust in Barcelona so I then found my way to Madrid and I met a, a Graham, an, uh, sorry, a Canadian guy called Graham Hellier so he was teaching English and he, he was uh, living with a, a German woman who was a flight attendant so and he was teaching English but he was paid monthly so often the last 10 days of the month he was skint uh, so that's when he, he'd go busking so he said well you know First few months of the first few weeks of the month, you're good. So he showed me all his good pictures in uh, Madrid, and so I'd, I'd go and play eight hours a day, seven eight hours a day. Yeah, wow. And so, and I, my goal was to is not repeat tunes and because I've been in uh, Ireland and I'd sort of you know, been learning. I, I I I used to be able to do most of that day without repeating tunes. Incredible. I couldn't do that now. I couldn't <laughs> do that now. But and I'm not sure the quality of sound. But you find a good pitch, so you find. I had this great pitch outside, like the, the Myers of um, uh, Madrid, El Corte Inglés, the English cut. And on the opposite side, so I started you know, about sort of nine, there was a cafe and all the, because they start late, finish late in Spain. And this was only 10 years after Franco had died, so Spain was really still waking up. So I'd be, you know, scratching away. And then at 10 o'clock, the, uh, the Garda Seville would come. So they, they were the guys with the funny peak hats on the side. And they'd literally stick a machine gun into my belly and say, off you go. And so everyone in the cafe is going, you know, fists up. And, yeah. you know, so they're sort of being uh, appropriately um, uh, disparaging of them. And then as I'm packing up, a hat full of, you know, pesos uh, would come over and, and that, that would sustain me to lunchtime. And you know what I mean? It was just, just fabulous. And then you'd meet, pe- you'd meet people on the street. So... I then got uh, contacts up in the northwest, and the northwest up in Galicia, it's Celtic, and again, it's t- 10 years post-Franco, so I sort of went up there, and I, I sort of did a little tour, and I did a recording for a university for their play later that year, and yeah, it was just fabulous, and they, they were just, you know, uh, hungry, hungry for it, and they mm-hmm. were looking around for it, so, but it meant I was playing a lot, so I was playing a lot, and uh, then when I came back, I... Um, uh, just joined a band, joined a band called Black Sheep, um, and we did the sort of combination of the sheep and cows and whatever was contemporary in that genre. And then we they played a lot of tunes, so we had about you know four tunes players out of a band of six, and then just kept sort of progressing through there. Mm. But I can play tunes. So busking, yeah. yeah so my busking <coughs> again. I'm a shy guy, and busking, busking. You're putting yourself out there. Um, so I would start, I would put my foot in the door with busking uh, with this tune. So I think it's called Rodney's Glory, but I really haven't played it for a long time. So if I muck it up, I'll just keep going. And then I'd lead into a jig and a, and a reel. So I might, might do my, my busking foot in the, the door. Trigger, for
a little bit off, but anyway. So what were the names of that set? What were the names in the set? I think first one's Rodney's Glory, Monk's yeah. um, Jig, and then Bank of Ireland. Obviously finishing with the Bank of Ireland, because I'm about to start busking and earning money, but I don't think anyone ever got that joke. So uh, <laughs> lost, lost <laughs> yeah. So if you could play for six, eight hours a day yep. busking, yep. where were you getting your repertoire from? Uh, good question. I had a list, um, <coughs> and I had recordings. Um, and I I'd, I'd still was learning new tunes because we, we had our little sort of Walkman and stereo mic. So, so, you, so it, was oral. It, was, it was oral. So it really most, most uh, predominantly, even though I could read music, but yeah. I'd, I'd, it's a lot quicker. If, if I can hear it in my head, I can play it. I'd, I'd, with our jazz theory, so part of our pre-dinner um, activity was you know, uh, learning pitches. So, da, da, na, da, so you know, it could be a, a tritone. So, da, da, da. so we'd, we'd learn ascending and descending intervals. Mm -hmm. That's part of a jazz player's thing. So, so and it, I think that helped me in my playing later because I ended up um, being a fill-in player for a lot of singers. So you get a call at five o'clock. You're down at the Druin Town Hall, there's a wedding, they need a fiddle player, so you'd show up. And as long as I could see the guitarist's hand, and, and, and so, you, yeah, it's kind of repertoire, so yeah. you'd sort of make your way through, as long as they weren't playing in wacky sort of flat keys or yeah. too many sharps there. But a lot of the tunes it. you were getting from other sessions, and you said we were actually recording? Yeah, correct, like yeah, yeah absolutely. So record a session, oh, I like that. So I tended to only learn tunes that I liked, yeah. um, which, which put holes in my repertoire, but... <laughs> I wasn't going to waste time with things that I wasn't passionate about. So, so this is a, a, a hard thing to put into words, but um, I, I mean, sure, at different times you like different, yeah, you like yeah, different yeah. things, and there's yeah. certain shapes and tunes that that can pull you at a certain yeah. time, right? Yeah. What What do you like in a tune now? Like, is it is it about the playing? Is it about the shape? You know, you're talking about intervals there. I mean, <clears throat> yep. There's so many recurring, very similar intervals in Irish tunes. And then the framework around around them yep, are, yep. are different, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've really thought. I, I think a tune grabs you, um, and so, so you you could hear an album or in a session, and you're going along. Yeah, it's either you you, you know a lot because it's common repertoire, but then all of a sudden there's a tune that just you sort of sit back and wow, what what are they doing there? And so you want to find that out, and so that sort of brings you into that tune, and then. That becomes part of your repertoire. So it's really, that's what I'm saying, I would sort of play the things that I like. Part of why I like is that there's just something about those tunes that mm -hmm. grabs me and whether it's, it's, and it's, it's either the whole flavour of the tune in terms of vibe or, or there's, there's a little passage within the tune that really, I haven't heard that before. You know, there's something a bit unique. And there's, there's, I'll play a tune soon you know, called Tripping Up the Stairs Are Real, which I won't play very well, but you'll see why I like that. And that's, that's off the playing of Seamus Cray and, and Patty Keane and they, they, Paddy Keane did a record. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Seamus Cray sat in on a few of those, and that was one of those tunes where it just, you know, turned my head literally. So do I you want to do it now? Yeah. Sorry, I just had another question. Yeah, yeah. I had another question about that because um, I heard uh, a version of Lark in the Morning, yep. um, which, which was just slightly different than the version that that I learned yep. when I was growing up. <clears throat> and it was uh, another, it was another Piper. It was Killian Valley. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And there's a, there's a YouTube. Um, yep thing of him playing like the mark and it was you know it's a matter of a you know not very many notes that are different yeah but the the whole sort of timbre of the tune has this has this it has a whole different color to it it's yeah. so beautiful yeah and and it's just um it's just really amazing how that little difference can 
Uh, and then you start playing something yourself or trying to play it yourself, yeah. and then you're changing it again. And you're yeah, I think that's part of the process. So I learned early on that it's it's not just part of the process to vary it. You want to learn it because you don't otherwise you're just playing the notes on a page or there's something. I wouldn't say characterless, but you're not bringing much to the tune of your own expression. So, so just and I think you notice that from the good players. So there will be the, like the book version or the almost an averaged version of the tune, which you know if it's major, it's 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 going to be major. But you know these guys will bring in, you know they'll sort of move it around a little bit. They'll take a little bit of a, do you know what I mean? The sort yes. of whole the whole not just the melody, but the sort of whole harmonics of the thing. They might get to shift, which which brings attention to it, or, or it's just how they choose to express. I wonder if that's one of the things about about Irish music, particularly, um, um, that that there is a certain elasticity. Yes, there is. There, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Clearly, which can go is. terribly out of control. Well, <laughs> you, can I mean, straight, you can pull an elastic too far, but. Well, I, and you, I could hear a recording, and I don't know it's a tune that I know till the second time through. Yeah. You know, so the variations are so varied. And you know, but that's there's still that core tune there in terms of identifying it. But clearly, that's person's interpretation. Now, that could be regional or just how they learnt it. And you know, yeah. I've learned a different source, um, and that, that's that's you know, explaining it quite well. But it's just um, it's important to vary it. I think, yeah. I, I, I and yeah, you have standard variations, but I'm that's why I make mistakes a lot. So I, I actually don't worry about mistakes because <laughs> um, they're just they're actually part of my playing in that sense. Because for me, it's trying new things, and you, you're just thinking of it as you go. Yeah, and, and you are in similar to the sessions. A big example of that when you're playing hmm. a tune, you're in that space in that moment. Yep. And you're creating something ephemeral and. It yeah. is what it is. Yeah, it's absolutely. Just, yeah, yeah. That's so such a beautiful thing. Yeah. You're either oh, something. Someone walked through. Um, Paddy Fitz and I were on stage on St. Pat's Day, and we sort of lashing into a few reels there. And on the next week, someone said, "Oh, I saw you and Paddy. You're really, you're really going into it." And I said, "You're either in or you're out." <laughs> and we were in. You know. Yeah. You know so, and I, I actually learned that because even just you know, travelling around Ireland, you, we, we're, I remember being in a car park down down at the sort of beach end of Dool, and, and I, I don't know what we were doing there, just hanging around. And there's this sort of you know, older guy, probably probably 40s, you know, because I was sort of you know mid 20s. Yeah, you know, chatting away, and we've got instruments, and he, oh yeah, yeah, I forget his name, and the you know, Irish guy from up in the north somewhere. He pulls out a fiddle out of his car, and oh, he plays, and then he goes down on one knee, and you know, just really gentle guy chatting away, and then bang, he, he sort of launches into this set of tunes, just like a ballistic missile, and he just <laughs> tore it apart, and then at the end of it, oh, thanks fellas, you know, really nice to meet you, and you know what I mean, and I found that with a lot of the players, because there's a lot of confidence, and they don't half do it, you know, if you're going to do it, you just sort of launch into it, as long as you've got the capacity to do yeah. that, it's sort of part of the character, there's, you just go for it. Yeah. But that does sort of tie into your early experience of getting up to do those to do those two tunes on your own. There's yeah. something about owning it and yep. reaching yep. a point where you're yeah you've grown enough you're mature enough to yeah yeah and look in, in Madrid I was competing with the beggars and I used to they have a lot of underground <laughs> footpaths that take you rather than take you on a street crossing which interrupts traffic flow they'll take you under the street mm-hmm. so it's a great idea a lot of European cities will have that so if you can get a pitch in the middle of that anyone walking each way they're going to hear you for a long time yeah. so they're going to make an early decision about whether they're going to give you some money or not and I remember I'd, I was playing there you know probably about three hours in you know still the beggar who was sitting on the steps on the way up just came up in front of me, put his hands on his ears and went, ah! <laughs> and then ran away to the other side. I said, well, 
That's one less competitor, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but very funny. So, you know, clearly it just was mumbo-jumbo to him. It's it like any genre yeah, of music. What, You're yeah. just playing the same notes. Three hours yeah, of it. Yeah, correct. It's my torture. Kid, my kids do that, actually. Yeah. Like, my, my, my son used to just go... No, Dad, no guitar. Yeah. No guitar. Yeah, so, yeah, it sounds the same. There you go. I'll do this tune. I, yeah, I don't play it very well, so but uh, a, it's a cracking tune. So I can listen for it. What, yeah. You mentioned there's something particular. Yeah, right so... Yeah. Sorry. So what they do... Um, so so he's going to put his third finger on both the, the two strings and then do a pedaling. Oh, I'm doing that terribly, but you'll hear in the tune. Yeah, perfect. I'll, I'll do it just as badly problem. in the tune, but... <laughs> But in a sense, there was I just hadn't heard of that, yeah. and it's actually not easy to play. Um, of course, Seamus Cray sort of nailed it. Yeah, but I, I just like the tune, and again, the whole point was that this was something that just captivated, it just caught my attention. I just had to learn it. So, but I haven't played it very much. Okay, so demonstrated but not articulated that well. But that that last yeah, part is just, I yeah, just grabbed me. So it was for me that was part of the essence of the tune. Yeah, it's really interesting hearing. Um, you, you don't often hear um, a fiddle on its own like this, right? Yeah, we, we yeah. Do, and, and just for those listening, I'm wearing no clothes at the moment. I'm completely <laughs> naked. It's been no yeah, contact yeah, the yeah, entire time. I'm glad you guys are dressed. <laughs> yeah. um, but. Uh, one thing that you, that you get from from listening just like this uh, with just a fiddle is the the physicality of the instrument, mm. right? I mean, there's the, the the actual there's physics going on there. Yeah, it's, it's like, a wrestling match. Friction, yeah, and, yeah, 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 and pulling and pushing, and yep. you know, it's, it's wrestling really, matches a nice way of putting it. Yeah, and and it's it's really I, I learned so initially when you're first playing the fiddle, it's around you know the tuning and you know, being in tune, um, but really later on, it's all about the bowing. It's, it's all about the bowing. And so myself, because I played for dancers so often, and I'm probably not able to demonstrate here, but I, I, if I'm clicking along to tunes, I'm on you know, the, the, the second and fourth beat. So I'm, not on the, I'm always on the back beat. And even for, you know, if I clap along to jigs, I'm on you know, beats three and six. And it's, it's just, my, it's just my, my natural rhythm. And so I wondered there because I was watching your foot when you were playing that reel, and my yeah. foot was going on a different. And I, and yeah, I thought, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't even know that, but yeah. I'm, whew, I'm glad that demonstrated <laughs> itself. But, but that's that, that's just my so, and that comes through your playing. So you, you're going to have this. Little <laughs> do you know what I mean? So in a sense, under in a broader band context, or even even a two or a three piece. That's just going to yeah, give this absolutely. drive, and so um, I've always sought to do that. That's just part of my playing. So, do you get to play much now? Um, um, I play. I try and play the sessions as much as I can. Sometimes my work takes me away. 
Um, so I probably get to um, probably three sessions out of four um, uh, here, and then I do the annual gig. You know, it's the old joke: got to got to have a venue to get a gig. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we do the St. Pat's thing, and uh, and we did that at the Corcoran for years. Um, and then occasionally uh, for the Irish commitment, so for the National Day uh, this Sunday, I can't do it this year, I've got another commitment, but I normally play down there with Greg Wright and, and Paddy Fitz and, and um, uh, Michael Gribben, Mick Gribben. And Mick and I occasionally do stuff, so we're, you know, we're asked to do something by one of the punters who comes uh, to the session, he's, he's a member of the Lions Club down at Brighton, so for Christmas they asked if we'd just sit in the street and play some music, you know, it's just part of their thing, and we were happy, happily did that, so we did, which was hilarious, so playing, playing with Mick Gribben is, is, a, is a great experience, he's a very funny man. He's, and a, he's a player and he, he sings. Yeah, so Mick, Mick often, he'll often come in, yeah, he, he often comes in sort of, you know, after nine at the session, and um, yeah, he's got a great repertoire, and um, he's good, it's a good guy to do gigs. So occasionally I'll do those sort of things, but I don't... Um, I'm not on anyone's radar anymore if they want a fiddle player, and I think I think that whole that whole scene is is completely different now. So, I mean, I used to do four nights a week. I used to work full time, you know, renovate a house, and still do four nights a week for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So Thursday what's on to at the Sunday? Minute? What's on at the minute for anyone yeah. listening that is interested as well? I yeah, I guess I'm I'm sort of a little bit out of touch because I sort of um, my work sort of doesn't give me the freedom to be able to just wander around, but. Certainly, the old timey side of things. You got Craig Woodward and that whole sort of um, coterie of people doing yeah. great things, and and they 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 sort of gigging all the time. Um, I think you got a lot of sessions. So you know, Ado, I think you interviewed Ado recently, and you know that that sort of whole mm-hmm. ex-basting street group of people. They they get together and play yeah. a lot. Well, you've two here, right? Beg your pardon. You have two sessions here. Yeah. So with the, the Wednesday, which is our, which is really the Corkman session at the last jar, um, yeah. because of the way that sort of finished. Um, and the Sunday we started a, um, a, a session because there was a group of younger players looking for a venue. So Sarah Wade and, and, and Emma and Cam, who are now in Ireland but due back soon. So there's that sort of part of that scene and they they hadn't been able to secure a venue. or um, So they requested, I said, no, knock yourself out. Right. So we started that and my nephew was doing some social media for us and so he, he built it as the younger person session, which... Yeah. Really, I normally we. What's I wouldn't be. I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Fourteen. So I wouldn't be as. I wouldn't be as overt as that. But it wasn't a bad thing in the sense that it gave that identity. And so more recently, um, almost for the last year, we've. uh, I organised someone to lead the session, but deliberately first hour, an hour and a half is a for the less experienced players, so that they've got a chance of doing what I didn't get to do of, of getting a, a, an avenue for them to play it's such an important public. thing yeah. and it's such a we've spoken about it many times that the um, the balancing act between having a good se- having a good session yeah. of quality music and having an, an avenue for new people to come in and yeah. be feel welcome to, to yeah absolutely because you need yeah. to mess up you, know, you need to make a mistake um, you can't yeah you've got to you've got to keep encouraging the next next generations of, of musicians which in, in Irish music, could be people in their 60s. And there's quite a few players here that have only started in retirement. And they're great. They've got all this time, so they're, they're, they're playing a lot. And, um, no excuse. So, so yeah, <laughs> so it's not just age-related. But, yeah, you, you've, and so that's why I'm saying that in terms of you know, being the responsible for a venue, that we deliberately try and curate a scenario that is not just 
giving a benefit to us, trying to get punters in to eat and drink while there's music. It's, yeah. it's really trying to support the scene. And we did a gig recently down in our dining room where uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny Cardi and Maggie Cardi and Chris Norman and, and Rennie um, from New Zealand, um, essentially as two two pieces, did did a, did a four piece sort of gig, and that worked really well. And um, you know they, they enjoyed the gig, and you know, we're hoping to uh, go more into that. Yeah. You know, so I've been talking to some of the others around town that you know there's, there's not many venues where you can get you know forty to sixty people. It's either you know house party, you know house concert, you know maybe twenty or thirty, yeah. or the bigger venues which you know they're empty if they don't have one hundred and hundred and twenty people. So the best way to follow you, Facebook, Instagram, which is yeah the last I don't, again not, didn't do it just to advertise, but certainly no, the last jar. But yeah, Facebook, um, Instagram. So just look um, last yeah, jar. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, any details yeah. we'll put it in the show. Yeah, notes yeah, no problem. Day. So and look with the Wednesdays and look the th- Sunday nights. Everyone's welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we put the Sunday night in a different location so we wanted a different vibe we didn't want to recreate the Wednesday quite deliberately Um, and yeah it sort of goes up and down but normally there's at least sort of six eight ten you know sometimes you get 15 or so and yeah yeah just varies like anything Um, my what what we do is make sure something happens consistently yeah so that's that's the problem every part of the problem is that every second Thursday is it every third Thursday no got to be every week if you miss it once then you're just not inclined correct yeah Yeah. so you need that predictability that it's wednesday night it's sunday night i know i know i can expect something so yeah but it's good and you know it's it's i mean irish music's a global music so i've I've had the benefit of traveling a lot with my work and you know i remember going to san diego once i was there for a week and the first thing i do is find out where the like i used to travel with the fiddle and um you know where where the local irish pub is and what night the session is so you rock up there and Hi, I'm Chris, and yeah, and all of a sudden you're talking to a, a captain of a nuclear submarine who, who's been underwater for the last 12 months. Yeah. Or in Toronto, I sort of landed, and there was a fiddle festival. So they were sort of bringing people from all over the country, um, you know, in the heart of Toronto, and so you get to meet, you know, there's a called Bequois band there, and you know, before you know it, you're at four in the morning, you're at a party playing Quebec tunes, which are fantastic because yeah. they play them seven or eight times, and by about third or fourth time you've probably got most of the tune so I, I do actually uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued by what happens to the tune when you play it like lo- much much longer than is customary in an Irish session yeah. which is like twice round or three yeah, times round yeah. you know you, you do get into a different space with that tune yeah you do you know? yeah it's sort of like uh, my, my kids are into sort of doof doof uh, house and deep house and trance and, and I love a lot of that yeah. stuff and and um, I've noticed more and more over the years, you know, even the older players like Paddy, you know, they'll play, you know, Road to Liston Varner or, you know, some of those sort of shorter tunes. They'll play them six, seven, eight times, you know. And Craig, yeah. who you mentioned yeah. from the old time, Craig Woodford, he's, yeah. he, he does that with the old time stuff. I got to a lot of those Yeah, sessions. yeah, yeah. And I'm like 10, 15 minutes in, and yep. these freight trains, and particularly when it's a, at a festival or something, you've got yep. 30 players. and. Yeah, it's got its rocky bit at the start, and then that moment when it's just all sinks yeah. in, it's just transcendental. Yeah, just, and it's got a momentum, and yeah. and uh, who's going to break that momentum? Uh, you know? Do you yeah. want to be the guy that sort of mucks that <laughs> up? So, so and look, the the Irish, the reason they don't do it is they it's not normal. So, but I've noticed more and more people. Like last, you know, this week we played a tune probably seven or eight times, and it's great. You know, people firing up, and then you know, it was this last time, and yeah, that's okay. You know, people on edge, so yeah. you know, it's good. Good. Yeah, I but I mean, it's, it does, it's, it's uh, sort of like monks chanting or something. It's got almost sort of this sort of, you know, harmonic sort of uh, resonance to it as it goes yeah. through. Because um, particularly, you tend to do it with the driving tunes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some, you're not going to do it with something that, 
is a little bit insipid. Yeah, yeah but anyway. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking yeah, the time. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Um, As I said, I will, I, will, I will get any links and anything for people yeah, to be yeah, able to find out yeah. when the sessions are on yeah, so they can yeah, actually come down. Yeah, no, great, great. So, good, eh? And, uh, yeah, just, just uh, I, I always encourage people to play. I mean, it's just, this has been a big part of my life, and even though I've mostly worked the last 20 years, there's always, this has been there. You know, it's always just like riding a bike as part of what you do. Okay, need to think of a tune. Um, I'll just play, I, I always like this pitchfork tune, so. So the last jar and Chris Fitzgerald, that was brilliant. And Thanks, Chris. We're um, you know, the tune you hear at either end of our show. By the way, the Roaring Barmaid was recorded at the Wednesday session, so that gives you an idea of the kind of and I have to say hot mess of uh, traditional music that's kind of bursting out of the place on a Wednesday night. Don't forget to head over to Patreon dot com forward slash Flowney programs it's really easy there's a um, become a patron button you tap that and you fill in some details you can shoot us a message or whatever there too um it's also where you'll find dom's weekly blog as well his post that takes you off on all wonderful little um what would you call them the little rabbit holes that you can just keep <laughs> on going down it's a, it's a fantastic way if you've got a few hours you just want to click it's a daydream click. it's a daydream it's, it's it. a kind of daydream okay. anyway patreon dot com forward slash Blarney programs okay cool well listen thanks very much again to Chris Fitzgerald thanks Chris and uh, alright good luck nice one hi my name is Rosa please become a subscriber to the podcast thank you